950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. It's Brett and Eric with you on a Thursday afternoon, the first live show of 2020. No pre-recorded show today. We are live and raring to go here with show number one of 2020. Eric, you're ready for a big 2020? I am. It you feels are. like it's been about a year since we did the last show. It it's probably been a while. Is. Yeah, yeah. In that little gap between yeah our last live show and today. Yeah, I suppose for you and me, because the last time I did a live show was with Sam. I think the last two live shows have been with Sam. Yeah, I don't think I've done a show with you, with you since like weeks or so? mid-September, probably oh, yeah. before Christmas. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you are Eric Nelson. I am Brett Johnson, just in case we mm-hmm. forgot each other's still, names. I haven't yeah. changed my name since yeah, then. My name is still the same as well. And well, our guest who's on the phone line with us has not changed his name either. That is Professor David Schultz of Hamlin University, as we're going to be having our usual talk about politics as Professor Schultz joins us now on the program. Hey, David, how are you doing today? Happy New Year. I'm doing very well. Thank you. Excellent. Yeah, glad to have you on the program and do want to tease this as well, that it sounds like you and I are going to be at Hamlin University coming up on January 29th. That's a Wednesday, a little bit later this month, as you're going to be doing a talk about impeachment, correct? Um, yes, impeachment, or if, if mm-hmm. the impeachment and trial process is already over by then, it may be, who knows, something else. But I'm assuming we're not going to have a trial done by then, or that even if we've had a trial, we may have lots of things to talk about anyhow. Oh, even if we do have a trial by then, yeah, there is still going to be lots to talk about. Yeah, it'll be, well, you're going to be kind of going through how impeachment works in the Senate. And, of course, if it already has happened in the Senate with the trial, we can talk about the ramifications. But we'll also have an opportunity for Q&A. I'll be there as well, and hopefully I'll be able to get part of that audio recorded so we can play it back on some of our 4 o'clock shows coming up. So we'll have more details posted on that on am950radio.com. I'll try to get those posted by early next week, but uh, yeah, definitely looking forward to that. Get a chance to meet you in person, David. We've only been talking on the phone. I've never actually met you in person, so it'll be good to put a face with the name. And of course, we can talk politics as well with lots of our listeners and also, of course, with the surrounding community community at Hamlin as well. well. You see, of course, I don't exist. I'm just a robot. Don't you know that? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, we're just speaking with a Watson robot over there providing political analysis. That's right. <laughs> so in your blog, Schultz's Take Doc, blogspot.com, well, you wrote about the Electoral College in thinking that Trump will win in 2020. And I have to admit, so on Monday, I did my prediction show for 2020, where I went on a limb and made a bunch of predictions for 2020. And I'm actually going to hold myself accountable on November 3rd to see how I did with my predictions at the beginning of the year. But, David, I got to say, great minds think alike because ultimately I came to the prediction that Trump would be reelected by winning 270 electoral votes right on the dot to the Democratic nominees, 268. And you kind of came to that same conclusion by doing a pretty detailed analysis of the Electoral College and basically breaking it down and saying that there are really only six competitive states this cycle, being Florida, Michigan, Minnesota, North Carolina, and Pennsylvania. So why don't you talk a little bit about how you kind of reached your conclusion? Oh, by the way, Wisconsin's in there, too. That's right. Well, what I did is is looked at uh, what appears to be states based upon the most recent polling and trends in the last, let's say, three or four election cycles in terms of which states seem to be reliably Republican, reliably Democrat, um, and came down to, and I don't have the exact numbers in front of me, came down to a set of numbers to where it was basically 44 states plus the District of Columbia were pretty certain regarding how they're going to f- fall in terms of of um, Democrat or Republican, and we're pretty. I mean, and with that, I came up with my calculations of how many electoral votes um, that there were. So once we worked those out, what we came up with is there were six states, the six that you mentioned, which have a total of a hundred electoral votes, um, and those those six states um, carry the balance of power because in those 44 states plus the District of Columbia, neither the Democrats nor the Republicans um, have enough, I would say, guaranteed electoral votes to be able to win the election. So we come down to a small handful of states, again, 100 electoral votes, and then I worked it out to say, okay, so of those states, let's walk us through in terms of, of which ones perhaps could go one way versus another. So I started with Minnesota, and I said that even though Minnesota is 
is is competitive this time is supposedly competitive this time um if the polls are to be believed uh, right now any democrat wins the state of minnesota by by about eight to ten um popular um popular vote percentages so i said okay throw that state into for the democrats and then i said right now the polling data also suggests that michigan looks like it's going in the direction of of democrats if if um this is critical if it were joe biden so i said let's throw that in give us another 26 electoral votes i threw i looked at florida which even though now seems it's pretty close um i threw it over to trump because democrats seem to have a hard time in florida and then I also looked at, I'm trying to think, what were my other two states? I got Pennsylvania. Uh, North Carolina and North Wisconsin. Wisconsin. Yes. Yes. North Carolina. North Carolina, um, even though there's some indications that the Democrats are competitive, they're, they just don't seem to seal the deal. So I threw that over to the Re- Republicans. So we come down to two last states. Came down to Pennsylvania, came down to um, Wisconsin. At that point, looked at it. Again, polling data suggests if, and I know it's not going to be pleasing to everybody here, if it were Joe Biden, he seems to be doing the best. Um, I push that over into the Democratic column. That gets the Democrats to 268, to the Republicans 260. Wisconsin seems to be holding the balance of power at this point, and it's gone back and forth, you know, in terms of, um, depending on who the candidate is, either um, it is Biden by a couple or Trump by a couple of points. Looked at it, um, made my best guess in terms of where I think Wisconsin is and said, um, as of what, about 10 days ago, I think it was going to go for Trump. That gave me what? 270 for Trump, 268 um, for um, most likely uh, Biden, who seems to be the most competitive um, mm-hmm. of the Democratic candidates against Trump, which means Trump what? Trump wins the Electoral College again, um, but I'm pretty certain Trump gets blown away in the in the popular vote. Yeah, and that's an aspect I want to touch in just a few minutes here. But even running through some of these individual states, if all of the results held from 2016 – People would still say, oh, well, we still had Michigan, Pennsylvania, and Wisconsin that flipped the election for Trump. But what's easy to forget is that for Democrats to reverse that trend, you can't just take one of those states or two of those states. You need all three of those states to actually get that back in the Democratic column because Trump actually did have, at least in the Electoral College, a substantial win getting over 300 votes, at least discounting faithless electors. So that's certainly a key point. And even looking at some of this other data you're talking about with like Wisconsin and Florida. Wisconsin, of course, is kind of an interesting state being that they're trying to go with a voter purge of, I believe, about 200,000 people. Florida, also a very funny state because at least as I was looking at in 2018, I was optimistic about the Dems' chances in both the governor's race and the Senate race, and Mm -hmm. turns out the Republicans won. So Florida's kind of a funny state, too. So even if you keep Minnesota in the Democratic column, it's still kind of an uphill climb in terms of the Electoral College. Yeah, it is. And and if Minnesota is seriously in play also, then it really doesn't look good for the Democrats at this point. Mm-hmm. So the Democrats have to be pretty certain that they're going to win this state, and it has to look pretty early on, let's say, in the general election, um, because if the Democrats have to now commit resources over into Minnesota and divert them away from Michigan and from Wisconsin – then it's just going to make the climb even harder. And I think that's part of what the strategy with Trump is at this point, is force the Democrats to have to defend Minnesota, um, again, making it more difficult and more competitive to be able to prevail elsewhere. So I'm just curious, having said that, did you arrive at, I think, what, roughly the same um, calculation then in terms of the states and everything that yeah, I did? it's 270 to 268. I actually, again, we had not communicated whatsoever. We ended up with the exact same predictions of that 270 to 268 margin. And I was even trying right. to do the math on this by how much could a Democrat actually win the popular vote but still lose the Electoral College? I was trying to do a little research on that. Maybe it's like four or five percentage points in terms of right. the popular vote. Do you have any idea yourself? Yeah, I, I played around with this, and I think it could probably go as 
high as five to seven percent um, oh. in terms of the t- turnout. So, it, you know, we could see something like, uh, oh gosh, okay, um, assume a two-party, uh, assume two candidates. Uh, you know, throwing the variable of a third-party candidate just you know makes life even more complicated. Um, um, I could see like a fifty. 53 or 54 percent goes to the likely Democrat. Trump gets somewhere around 46 percent. And at that point, um, the Democrat still loses in the Electoral College. So what also is an interesting aspect of that potential 270 to 268 or even under a scenario where a Republican or a Democrat victor gets in the low or mid 270s is that you, of course, have faithless electors possibly playing a role since we did see a number of those back in 2016. Because if you don't get those 270 votes, it doesn't matter if you have a plurality of the vote in the Electoral College. It ends up going to the House of Representatives, which is an entirely different ballgame because as you correctly point out, it's not just a simple majority vote in the House. It actually goes to each state delegation, where, for instance, Minnesota gets one vote, depending on how our representatives vote. And you would think that would go Democrat, since we have five DFLers, three Republicans. Wisconsin has a majority of Republican representatives, so they would get one vote for the Republicans. So overall, it vote breaks down to, I think it's 26, 22 Democrats with maybe a couple ties mm-hmm. in there. I could be wrong. So mm-hmm. is that essentially how it ends up working where it goes to those state delegations? And my other question would be, what happens if we don't get to 25 votes for any candidate in the House? Then, well, well, then the Senate has to pick a vice president where mm-hmm. each senator gets one vote and then the vice president gets to basically act as president until the house resolves the matter um so mm-hmm. so we so we could be so this is where um control of the senate now also becomes critically important for the democrats yeah now i'm going to add even one more scenario to yours you were talking about the faithless electors right. remember there are two states in the united states Maine and Nebraska, which don't do an all or nothing in terms of the electoral vote. Uh, assume a, a scenario also where, um, remember back in 08, um, Barack Obama actually won one of the electoral votes in Nebraska, which is sort of the Omaha area, which is, you know, more Democratic than the rest of right. the state. Or let's say, a Democrat wins um, the second congressional district in Maine. Again, not impossible. Under the scenario that I constructed, it could be what two sixty nine, two sixty nine, <laughs> deadlocked goes to the House of Representatives, um, and then we have the scenario that we're talking about here. And I know people are probably listening. Boy, this sounds just like um, a bunch of fantasy that you're talking about exactly here, and we even um, got a chuckle of a producer in there which i can't blame him it's an absolutely crazy scenario that we're going through but if you do the math it's actually kind of conceivable <laughs> it is conceivable at this point and i wouldn't rule it out like i said because all it's going to take is one faithless elector um under my scenario or your scenario and you've now either thrown it to the house or one or two faithless electors you switched it from um, a Republican to a Democratic victory, um, or well, basically that'd be the more likely more likely one at that point. Um, but yeah, so that's how divided we are right now in the Electoral College, and so this is why the election is so important because we're not just talking. Because remember, if it goes to the if it goes to Congress to pick the president, it's the next Congress. It's not this one, oh. and. Yeah, so so that's why these elections are really critical, and that means we have to worry about holding the House, and not just holding the House as Democrats, but getting a majority of the state delegations. Because remember, it's going to take 26 state delegations um, to have the majority. Um, And so right now, the Republicans have that majority in state delegations, the Democrats don't. It's funny as we just go through all these scenarios trying to think about 
who dreamed this all up when we were eventually when we were making the constitution and this scenario happens if this happens and this scenario happens if this happens it's kind of fascinating to go through and as we talk about possibly conceivable for 2020 as we head into that election cycle all right david so mm-hmm. i want to move into another piece that you wrote and this has to do with well what it ultimately is the democrats end game with impeachment because Well, we may end up seeing a Senate trial in the next few weeks or maybe even the next few months, depending on what happens. So Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I first up want to cover how long could Nancy Pelosi actually hold these articles of impeachment before sending them over to the Senate? Could she just hold on to these indefinitely and possibly not even ever send those articles over to the Senate? There's nothing constitutionally that Hmm. requires her um, to send them over at this point, or or I could even rephrase it and say that we assume she has to um, um, send them over, but there's nothing that's going to require, or the or the courts can't compel her to do it because the Supreme Court has said that matters of impeachment are issues that are not something the courts are going to address, and so from a constitutional perspective. I think she can hold out as long as she wants. The question becomes, politically, um, how long can she hold out? And I think that's a really good question here. And, and it's up to how the Democrats, I think, do the narrative. If the Democrats can control the narrative and say the reason why they're not sending them over, they don't trust that there's going to be a fair trial, um, or that... Um, they want terms applied to this impeachment that we saw that were used to Bill Clinton, and they can keep that narrative, then I think the Democrats and Pelosi can hold out quite a while. But that really becomes the the critical question at this point, is who maintains control of the narrative um, in terms of um, um, of what's happening right now. And if I'm sitting there as a Democratic strategist, I would for sure say hold on to these articles until at least after the State of the Union address because as I'm picturing Trump getting this, giving the State of the Union, I don't think he would be able to hold back and not talk about impeachment because if I recall when Clinton was being impeached, he very much went out of his way not to talk about impeachment during his State of the Union. And for Trump, I don't think he would be able to resist and I could actually picture that kind of derailing his speech entirely if the Democrats were to hold on to those impeachment articles through and after the State of the Union. No, I think you're right. I think what would be really interesting to see is potentially a Trump meltdown, um, you know, at, at, the, mm-hmm. at the State of the Union speech. I, I, you know, I think Pelosi can play poker better than almost anybody I've seen play poker in a long time. And she could walk over and shake the president's hand. I think if the president had to stand next to Pelosi um, or had to be in that situation, I don't know about you, I think he would bust. I think he would just, I don't think he could take, contain himself. And, and I think that would be a smart move for the Democrats at this point is to, is to just wait until after that. And I think that's partly why Almost immediately after Pelosi um, did the in, um, the in the House did the impeachment, she immediately invited him to give the State of the Union speech. Um, it's it's a way of unnerving the president. Absolutely. All right, we only have time for a couple more topics, and I want to take things a little bit more local here for my last few questions for you. And we were talking about how important earlier the House and the Senate makeup will be. Now, conceivably here in Minnesota, as we look at two local races, we should have two competitive races in CD2 and CD3. However, as I go through and look at the list of challengers in CD2 and CD3, well, in the 3rd Congressional District, the Republicans are running, at least for now, Kendall Qualls, who is a relative unknown, while in CD2, the only guy who announce he's running is Rick Olson, who is actually very much in favor of environmental regulations and even went out and said that he's in favor of Trump's impeachment, which obviously is not going to fly with Republicans. Now, of course, there are, as it was just reported today, I believe in the morning take, that there are a few Republicans considering running against Angie Craig in CD2. But to me, David, for two races that could be very competitive, it seems like the GOP is very, very late to the game. And this not only in Minnesota seems to be kind of taking shape, but also around the country as well, where we don't really see a lot of credible Republican challengers, which could really hurt their chances in terms of retaking a House majority, even if Trump were to win the election. 
No, I think you're right. And what we've seen now, I think I've lost track of the exact number, but it's somewhere around, what, 17 or 18 um, incumbent Republicans have also announced that they're retiring. And this just makes it even more difficult for Republicans um, to to hold on to uh, to their majority in the House in terms of I don't mean majority in terms of um, of you know absolute majority Democrats have it but I mean majority in terms of control by by state and certainly mm. it makes it nearly impossible for them to flip the House of Representatives at this point so so I so. I'm finding that really interesting that that the Republicans seem to be, if I can use the phrase, circling the wagon um, to protect the president and to try to hold the 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 Senate and are more or less, I think, conceding the House of Representatives. Yeah, which I find, again, interesting looking at the second and the third congressional districts because in CD2, which is Angie Craig's district, it was actually – a Trump district back in 2016, and here they are still kind of debating who they necessarily want to run against Angie Craig, which even if they do land a high-profile candidate, it is still very late in the game to actually get that campaign infrastructure and raise money among other tasks, because if I remember back to 2018, Angie Craig and Dean Phillips had announced by, I believe, by maybe early or mid-2017, that they were going to challenge uh, CD2 and CD3 in 2018. Mm -hmm. So it's very late Mm -hmm. in the game to even launch a credible challenge at this point. Yeah, I think you're right. And I think if you also look at the trends of what's happening nationwide, the Republicans are are losing control of the suburbs. Mm -hmm. And I think those two districts, you know, obviously... um, may be lost to them um, for the near future. Now, I know we're going to be doing reapportionment and redistricting um, in, you know, in, you know, the census is this year, redistricting next year. We'll have different lines in 2021. But essentially, I think we're going to still have, what, two urban core districts, and we're going to have two Twin Cities suburban districts. And I don't think any of those are going to be really that competitive for for the Republicans anymore, and they may be they may be lost to them. All you know, all things being equal. Yeah, absolutely, and especially if yeah, you end up with the DFL controlling the state legislature and the governor, then those districts are going to be drawn by Democrats, which could make things even worse for Republicans as well. All right, David. Right, we, we have to throw one lesson. I know we're almost out of time. But oh, the last ahead, yeah. point I was going to make is that keep in mind. This is a census year, and Susan Brower, who is the state demographer, has pointed out um, that our chances of holding on to our eight congressional seats, our eighth one, um, are not good. We are likely to lose a congressional seat um, after this election. So that is something else we need to be thinking about down the line, too. Oh, yeah, that entirely, yeah changes the shape of every congressional district, especially the more outstate districts when they're the ones that are actually losing populations in some cases compared to the metro area. So we'll watch that yeah. as well. So, all right, Professor David Schultz, thanks so much for joining us on the program today. And again, we will be at Hamlin University January 29th as we're going to be doing a little Q&A on impeachment. You'll also be giving a talk on that as well. I'll be recording it, be a part of that as well, hopefully getting that played back on the radio on a later date. But encourage folks to head out there to Hamlin University. I believe it's Anderson Room 305, January 29th. So, Professor Schultz, look forward to seeing you then and, well, talking in the meantime before that as well. Sure. Talk to you soon, and thanks to everybody. Happy New Year. All right. Thanks again, David. You're listening to AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. We'll be back with some local news coming up next. Finding the right lawyer is incredibly stressful. It can be tough to know even where to start. Don't just run an Internet search for an attorney. Start with the Minnesota Lawyer Referral and Information Service, an enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They'll connect you with over 200 thoroughly vetted, qualified attorneys practicing in over 50 areas of law. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. There are so many times in life when it's important to have a plan. I'm attorney Rachel Schroman, and I can tell you from experience that so much pain can be prevented with an estate plan or an arrangement for long-term care costs. I work with families with many different dynamics and budgets, and my goal is always to give them peace of mind while helping them protect their legacy. 
Learn more about me at shromanlaw.com. That's S-C-H-R-O-M-E-N-Law.com. This is Ellie Krug from Ellie 2.0 Radio on Mondays from 7 to 8 a.m. Many listeners know that I founded Human Inspiration Works, LLC, which trains on human inclusivity and on how to be welcoming diverse humans. Today, organizations of all sizes find that they need to train team members on diversity and inclusion. I can do that. Many say that my trainings change the way they see the world. I'd love to help make your organization more welcoming. For more information, go to humaninspirationworks.com. Thank you. Hi, I'm Frank Brown, owner of the only minority-owned union print shop in Minnesota. Do you work with political campaigns? Yes, we have years of experience helping campaigns. Do you help with design? Yes, our employees have over 100 years of industry experience and are the best at what they do. So you print anything a political campaign might need? Yes, we print everything. Work with a printer for your political campaign that shares your values. Miniman Press Uptown. Learn more at mpuptown.com. Miniman Press Uptown. We print everything. Hi, I'm Dr. Scott Shambot from Shambot Family Dentistry. We're the fear-free, get-you-out-of-pain-now dental office. We always offer a free exam and x-rays for new patients because we believe you shouldn't have to pay to find out what's wrong with your teeth. Call today. We're open early and late and Saturdays to fit your schedule. As my daughter Rachel says, If you don't see my dad, please see another dentist. Take care of your teeth because they're the only ones you get. Call 1-800-FIX-MY-TEETH or visit fixmyteeth.us. At Better Futures Minnesota, our purpose is to fuel and guide our men's desire to turn their lives around and walk a new path toward better health and success. We are intent on changing the costly systems and practices that produce poor results and perpetuate the chaos and cycles of dependency experienced by men who have faced incarceration. We are building a movement that supports personal transformation and a healthy, vibrant community of men. Visit us at BetterFuturesMinnesota.com to learn how you can support our movement. Back on AM 950, the progressive voice, Brett and Eric with you. You and I were chatting during the break about how crazy this process kind of is if Mm -hmm. the election were to actually go to Congress, which again could very well happen if no one gets to 270 votes or if you have – even like five elect faithless electors and the election's close, that could happen. But yeah, you and I kind of got a chuckle out of when uh, we were talking with David and he basically said, well, if the House can't figure out who they're going to make the president, then it goes to the Senate. It's kind of one of those things where, uh, yeah. well, you can't figure it out. We'll take a stab And at then it. they just resolve it. Yeah, they just There's resolve no, it. <laughs> how that is resolved is not clear yet. Mm-hmm. Maybe you hire your own personal militaries. I don't know. Yeah, exactly. We just battle it all out, or yeah, we do fight uh, over with the canes. That's how they used mm-hmm. to do it, right? Yeah, yeah, that, or maybe just do an old game of rock paper scissors, figure yeah. out who the president is. It's as good a system as any, I guess. Yeah, exactly. Well, if you remember, uh, Virginia, I think it was two, three years ago, they actually had to decide control of their state legislature by a coin flip because I believe it ended up being fifty to forty-nine and favor of the Democrats with one seat undecided, and that race literally ended up in a tie in terms of the number of votes. So they went to a coin flip. The Republicans won it. They made it 50-50, and they ended up with, I believe, joint control. That was like 17 maybe. Yeah. I could be wrong on that, but that's kind of nuts too. Who's designing these systems and being like – you know, it'd be really fun as if we could tie and then we don't know what happens. Yeah, exactly. It kind of reminds me, and this is uh, my background following sports, where like in college football, I always root for the chaotic scenario where you have like six undefeated teams just so you have a mess of everything. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's, it's always fun to see something new. Yeah, yeah. Even though, yeah, politically, it yeah. might not be the best thing <laughs> in the world, but it is amusing as well. I mean, you certainly can't deny that if you were to end up in that scenario where mm. you have like a 269 to 269 electoral college. I'm amazed that it hasn't occurred yet just because it, when you go through all the different mm-hmm. states, it seems – oh, it seems very possible. Yeah, exa- at least not in modern times mm-hmm. if you had a scenario where it's actually gone down to Congress. And God, w- what a circus that would actually be if you had a presidential election come down to Congress. Just to imagine yeah. the drama and the – I mean look at the drama now where there's an impeachment that everyone kind mm-hmm. of just knows is spectacle. Yeah, it would be a meltdown in this country if you actually had a presidential election decided by Congress. Wow, I kind of do and kind of don't actually want to see that take place. For the reasons we brought up, yeah. you don't because, yeah, the chaos is not necessarily good, but you kind of do also because it's, that it's part, also kind of fun to watch. It's that part in like the back of your head that kind of wishes for like 
Mm-hmm. You know, every time there's a tornado, like, ooh, I hope it goes through my neighborhood. It, that's a It'd great analogy right there because I've never actually seen a tornado in person, and I kind of want to see one. Yeah, you know but it's destructive, you think about it, but yeah. it'd be fun. Yeah, but that it, it's fun in theory, but then in yeah. practice, when a tornado does come through your neighborhood, well, then you kind of regret actually seeing yeah, that tornado. I don't think anyone's excited like, well, yeah, I'm happy I got a tornado. Yeah, exactly. That, that's a great analogy right there. 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. All right, coming up on the other side of the break, have some other news to talk about, including the fact that we still have slavery language in the Minnesota State Constitution. That is absolutely nuts. We're also going to talk about Michael Bennett releasing not the Green New Deal, but the Real Deal. That's the name of his new policy. All right, we're going to talk about both those and more coming up next, but first let's get to the news from Public News Service. The Public News Service Daily Newscast for Monday, December the 30th, 2019. I'm Mike Clifford. People of a variety of religious beliefs were victims of violent attacks as the year comes to a close. The Dallas Morning News reporting a gunman opened fire Sunday morning at a church in White Settlement, killing one person and critically wounding another before churchgoers fatally shot him. Police in White Settlement, located about eight miles west of Fort Worth, Texas, say... Two of the three wounded people, one of whom was the gunman, died at the hospital. Meantime, CNN reports the suspect in a string of stabbings during a Hanukkah celebration at a rabbi's home in New York was found with blood all over him. Police say that Grafton Thomas was driving a Nissan Sentra across a GW bridge in New York City when his car's tag was captured by a license plate reader. The NYPD apprehended Thomas without incident after midnight. According to a new Harris poll sponsored by AARP, 95% of women, 50 and older, say they're likely to vote in the 2020 presidential election. While older women are expected to be a reliable voting bloc, 7 out of 10 say they still don't know who they're going to vote for. AARP New Hampshire State Director Todd Fahey reflects on the significance of this uncertainty for the Granite State. In a state like New Hampshire, with the First Nation primary, with some 40-plus percent of the population declared independence, it's a pretty important number. The older women polled also prefer an experienced candidate over one with a new approach. According to the survey, the top issue for older women voters is health care, particularly its high cost. I'm Laura ross reporting. Those responding to the poll also say they're more likely than the male respondents to say the economy is on the wrong track and it's not working for them. This is PNS. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention says Minnesota is seeing moderate to high flu virus activity. Ingrid Johansson of the Minnesota Immunization Network Initiative says for people who choose to be vaccinated, this time of year can be difficult in places where there aren't many providers. Data tends to show that it's really people who are who are lower income, minority communities, people with language barriers that um, are less likely to be vaccinated. Through Fairview Health Services and a state-funded grant, Johansson oversees the Immunization Network Initiative, which works with community groups to set up clinics where people can get free flu shots. For those who have other health concerns about vaccinations, health officials advise frequent hand-washing and avoiding others who are sick. Mike Moen, Minnesota News Connection. The U.S. Senate expected to consider the National Defense Authorization Act. For the first time, the bill provides funding that would help the military reduce security risks from climate change. Esther Sperling is with the American Security Project. On the tactical side, you face increased extreme weather that can impact base operations. You saw that at Camp Lejeune. When hurricanes hit, they create challenges where troops that we're going to deploy end up having to stay and respond to the challenges at home. An analysis of 18 East and Gulf Coast military installations by the Union of Concerned Scientists found the majority of bases will experience increased tidal flooding and land loss within the next few decades. I'm Mike Clifford. Thanks for starting your week with Public News Service. We are member and listener supported. And we're online at publicnewsservice.org. Hey, everybody. Habitation Furnishing and Design is going to be on Excelsior Boulevard a little bit longer than we thought. So our moving sale has been extended. That means you've still got a bit of time to pick up some great deals on heavily discounted home furnishings and accessories. And as we're winding down, you can now take another 25% off the already reduced prices. This sale is going to end without notice, though, so don't delay. Habitation Furnishing and Design, 4317 Excelsior Boulevard in (laughs) St. Louis Park. 
This President's Day weekend, embrace winter with your family at the Audubon Center of the Northwoods. Located 10 miles north of Hinkley on Grindstone Lake, this all-inclusive weekend entails lodging, locally sourced meals, and winter activities like ice climbing, snowshoeing, ice fishing, wildlife programming, skiing, bonfires, quality family time, and more. Learn more and reserve your spot at audubon-center.org. That's audubon-center.org. The Audubon Center of the Northwoods. Experience your environment. When you need legal assistance, let the Minnesota Lawyer and Referral Information Service help you find the right attorney. It's a new and enhanced program of the Hennepin and Ramsey County Bar Associations. They have professional, experienced referral counselors who can connect you to vetted attorneys practicing in employment law, divorce, bankruptcy, DUI, and much more. Take the stress out of finding a lawyer. Call 612-752-6699 or go to mnlawyerreferral.org. The right call for the right lawyer. With your AM950 weather, this is Eric Nelson. Tonight will be mostly cloudy with a low around 24. Tomorrow, snow's likely with less than one inch of accumulation possible. A high of 31 and a low of 18. Saturday will be partly sunny with a high of 26 and a low of 22. Sunday, a slight chance of snow with a high of 28 and a low of 22. Eat Local Minnesota is a great way to find locally owned Minnesota restaurants. Make sure the money you spend stays local. Featuring great restaurants such as Burger Moe's, Cafe Latte, and more. Find a full list of restaurants at eatlocalminnesota.com. It's AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota at 442 with Brett and Eric. Unfortunately, some uh, sad news to pass along to you as Barry Savan actually died last night. He was the weatherman for Channel 5 and Channel 11 back in the 70s and the 80s, known for his uh, very unconventional way that he did weather forecasts. Uh, I actually had the privilege of meeting him a few years ago on AM 950, back when he was a guest on Betty Folliard's show, when she had a program here on AM 950 as they were talking about his book and kind of how he got into weather. And then I also have a close friend of mine who uh, actually worked as a producer for Brooklyn Park Community Television. And over the past few years, Barry Savan actually did retro weather forecasts every week at the Brooklyn Park Community Television. And I don't know if you've ever seen those Eric Barry Savan do weather. I saw them. So, were they actual weather reports? Or just yeah, like- they were. Yeah. Yeah, and what made them unique is that back when you did weather forecasts like back in the 70s, you didn't have any computer technology that could use to show satellites or radars or anything. Oh, yeah, the green screen effect? Not even that. Yeah. He literally had a marker board with a map of the United States, and he went around That's the right. entire map and manually drew the temperatures of different mm-hmm. areas around the country. He manually, in magic marker, was drawing like the cold fronts that were coming through and what the weather was going to end up uh, happening over the next few days and weeks. So he got very famous for doing that, and yeah, he continued to do that at Brooklyn Park Community Television for a number of years. Yeah, you can look up it on YouTube, Retro Weather. His last one was back on December 26th, and then, unfortunately, he uh, died last night. But, yeah, he's a great guy, and I, uh, again, had the chance to meet him a few years ago. And it's always kind of fun watching those retro weather forecasts because they're it reminds you of how far technology has actually come with weather because everything is handwritten on these forecasts. It's literally like a guy putting up just a magic board and yeah, with a magic marker and writing what the weather is actually going to do. Mm-hmm. Now they're just vaguely... You know, mm-hmm. motioning towards the map. Yeah. Like, there's a lot of red over here. Yeah. Yeah. And then Barry was also kind of a comedian as well, which made it funny as well. Mm-hmm. He actually was a comedian, but he kind of brought that aspect to the weather forecast as well. So very sorry to see him pass away last night. He was 82 years old. And again, uh, go to Retro Weather on YouTube. Definitely encourage you to check those out. All right, also got to bring this up uh, on a little bit of a lighter piece of news. So, Eric, do you remember when I was telling you about that gerrymandering board game just before Christmas? I do. Yeah, so I ended up actually getting that for Christmas. My mom was actually listening to the program and bought it for me. So, on Christmas night, I ended up playing the gerrymandering game with two of my cousins and then another relative who happens to be an elected official. Can you predict who actually won the gerrymandering game? Cousins are always good at games. No, it's actually okay. the elected official. Yeah. 
relative that mm-hmm. ended up winning. Seemed very fitting, even though he was trying to play it off as being, well, I have no idea what I'm doing in this game. Of course, he still ended up winning. That's the politician and, technique. So exactly. Seems very this. much so, yeah. So he ended up beating me and gerrymandering the board game. And by the way, hopefully going to make a blog post about that. I, it's actually kind of an educational way to show how gerrymandering works. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of a fun game to play. So I'll hopefully get that posted to am950radio.com in the next week or so. All right, let's head back to the news, though. So the St. Paul Police Chief Todd Extell kind of made some waves last night as he posted on Facebook the fact that he actually read through the entire Minnesota Constitution and actually found that within the Minnesota State Constitution, we still have references to slavery of all things. The references to slavery have to do with uh, punishment for a crime. Basically, the Constitution says, I believe, is that you can actually still have slavery as long as it's punishment for a crime. Which is, is this about specifically the Minnesota Constitution? Yeah, because Minnesota. Yeah, the U.S. Constitution has it too in the Thirteenth Amendment. Yeah, but that was repealed, wasn't it, in the later amendment? I think, or am I? I don't believe. Really? No, so it's no. still technically in there. Yeah, wow. That's, uh, there was kind of like the hoopla over Kanye West saying, like, oh, repeal the 13th Amendment. Mm-hmm. People were kind of going after him, like, oh, you want to, like, re-allow slavery? Where he's specifically just talking about how it was mm-hmm. allowed for prison labor. Wow. Yeah. And if there's a source I'm going to go to on uh, my constitutional it's law, it's certainly Kanye. Kanye West. Absolutely. Wow. So that's still actually in the U.S. Constitution. That's depressing. It's also still in the Minnesota Constitution, and the St. Paul Police Chief Todd Extell is trying to get the legislature to tackle that. And by the way, the only way we could actually repeal that language from the state constitution is by, well, having another constitutional amendment, which would mean it would go to a full vote before the citizens during the 2020 election cycle, because if you go back to, I believe the last time we had a vote on a constitutional amendment, that would be back when we were voting on voter ID and also the gay marriage, or I should say anti-gay marriage amendment. And actually, to get a constitutional amendment on the ballot, you only need both houses of the legislature to pass it, then it goes directly to the voters. The governor actually has no say whatsoever. So conceivably, this could happen if Axtell gets his way and starts organizing with this Interestingly, when they were going through and writing this media report, uh, they got some comments from several DFL legislatures who said, yeah, absolutely, let's remove this from the Constitution. No comment from the Republicans. Just kind of baffling to me. That seems like a no-brainer. Who is actually for allowing slavery in the Constitution? I don't know. I think it's yeah. just that they just don't want to appear like concerned with any issues that might not affect white people. I can't – yeah, exactly. I cannot figure out – Unless in any way openly that, advocating for slavery. Yeah, ex- even among most conservatives, yeah, that's not they're not in favor view. of slavery. I'll even give you credit for that much for conservatives listening out there. Yeah, you're not in favor of slavery. I have no idea what the political benefit would be to not have this vote on repealing slavery language from the Minnesota state constitution. So, I guess I, maybe it's business interests that do want to use Prison labor? It could very well be that, or if I want to give them the benefit of the doubt, maybe they just got caught off guard by the question and are saying, we'll get back to you later. But even then, that's still got to be a no-brainer. I mean, come on. Yeah, I can't admit. I don't know. That's not. It's definitely not popular with the general electorate. It's not popular with anyone outside mm-hmm. of people who are like members of the KKK, which mm-hmm. if you're appealing to that constituency, yeah. uh, your party has some problems, but <laughs> – Boy, I wonder if you could be onto something there with, yeah, the fact that they want to keep that legal just so they can technically say prison labor, you can still have slavery because that very much is the case where either in prison you're getting paid like pennies per hour mm-hmm. and they could basically just go on and say, well, the Constitution says we don't have to pay you anything. So there you go. It's going to be free labor, which is, i.e., slavery. So I actually looked up the 13th Amendment mm-hmm. and you were sort of right that it was uh, revised in 1992. However, the re- 1992? In 1992. However, that revision had nothing to do with outlawing the slavery. It just says that Congress can enforce this with appropriate le- legislation. I so be- they were almost reaffirming it. Yikes. 1992 as well. It kind of took them that long to talk about it. I believe that was also the last time we even had any sort of constitutional amendment passed at the federal level because – and like. The 1992 thing is not them saying this is bad. Mm-hmm. It's saying Congress has the rights to enforce it. 
well, I don't know the politics behind that. I'm definitely not an a- an expert on that aspect of uh, <laughs> of what happened with that 1992 amendment, but I believe that was the last time we actually did get an actual amendment in the U.S. Constitution. And being how hard it is to actually get amendments passed, and with the fact that we live in hyper-partisan times, I actually kind of wonder if that will be the last amendment we actually get to the U.S. Constitution because I can't imagine the threshold needed to get a amendment passed could ever happen again when you consider you need supermajorities in Congress and a supermajority of state legislatures to actually get a constitutional amendment passed. So, yeah, that unfortunately may be the last amendment we actually ever see passed among uh, or in the U.S. Constitution. We're at 952-946-6205, 952-946-6205. All right, let's take one phone call before we head to our final break. we got Melanie in Minneapolis who wants to chime on in. Hi there, Melanie. So, number one, I want to apologize for my scratchy landline. Ah, no problem. It's kind of coming and, through and now right now. I'm gonna, <laughs> and now I'm going to call back to Phil Donahue when he was he, – Phil Donahue was sort of bragging. I mean, Phil Donahue definitely has bragging rights about um, being against um, us going into Iraq. And mm-hmm. – uh, so, but but it was really cool because Phil Donahue was saying, "No one likes a scold," mm. and so I'm going to be a scold now. Hopefully, in the tradition of Phil Donahue, which is, I'm just going to point out something no one, very very few people want to hear. Us losing a constitutional seat in the state of Minnesota is a short-term loss of political power. Mm-hmm. But it's a long-term gain if we can reduce our state population in the right way. And by that, I don't mean more factory farms Mm -hmm. outstate and more farmers not owning their land and more people crowding into the metro area. But the issue of population, I'm getting really tired of hearing population described as it's only good if it's going up. No, Mm -hmm. I I really wish that every time someone got into that really destructive anti-scientific meme, I wish that a biologist was immediately able to pop up and talk about, uh, you know, humans are doing real well, and uh, we're losing species, and we're losing habitat. So the way I think of... um, like and we might yeah we might apparently the state of Minnesota might lose one congressperson and by the way that's not because we're shrinking in population we're just not growing as fast as the rest of the country so technically we st- are still growing and as you're bringing up that's not necessarily always a good thing and i think you rightly good for you good yeah, for you gonna, for understanding that yeah and i think you rightly brought this up as well to yeah reduce population in the right way you're not talking about some sort of crazy purge like you see in hollywood movies or anything like that. I think you're talking more about educating people to know that they don't necessarily need to have kids all the time or they don't need to have kids to have a Wonderful. family. Wonderful. You're, you're, you're making me feel like I have to talk less because you, <laughs> like, there's one other person on the planet that gets it. That's mm-hmm. fabulous. You know, it's a little bit like you're, you're at a concert and you just hope the people in the front don't stand up mm-hmm. because then everyone will have to keep standing up behind them. Mm-hmm. So I just really think we need to... Sounds like, like a fun concert. I think we need to have a better idea of we're still losing the game with reduce like the rate of population is the rate of population growth is slowing that still means we're growing in population I think you said that so that's mm-hmm. we really have to get a handle on this every single human being makes a carbon f- <laughs> footprint we I mean we really we got to talk about population when we talk about climate all right I mean, hey we, we, we just have to start I gotta have to let At you. At the same time, yeah, to let you go there, Melanie, because the phone is kind of breaking in and out there. But do appreciate the phone call because it is kind of a topic that, as you 
brought up, people don't like to address because you shouldn't automatically, as Melanie said, assume that population growth is necessarily a good thing. And I'm kind of neutral on that, but I am open to having that debate as to whether population growth is a good thing because I think there are some valid arguments showing that it's not necessarily the best thing in all cases, especially when it comes to, well, trying to feed the population and climate change and other topics. 952, yeah, yeah, go ahead. I don't know. I kind of am always a little hesitant when people bring up population control because it always ends up falling on someone else that has yeah. to take on the responsibility. And for I'm not that. in favor of and something like, yeah, go. Like any sort of implementation of a policy to curb population growth is kind of unnecessary when you look at that as urban human development increases, population growth will eventually go down. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how you would develop something to intentionally curb human population growth without putting other people in worse situations. I think it just comes down to a cultural thing where you can tell people, yeah, you don't necessarily need to have sure. kids. Yeah. But I think that, I don't like, think you need to have something design, like in China where you have a limit on the number of kids that you have. I'm not, I'm not in favor of anything like that. Suggesting that, but I think yeah. the places where there is the largest human population growth have the smallest carbon footprints to begin with. Mm. And it's just a natural byproduct of human development. Like the more developed a place is, the lower the population growth is. It's mm-hmm. not so much a cultural thing. It's that I don't need to have kids because I don't work on a farm. I live in the city. Mm-hmm. I have an apartment. I can only have two kids in this apartment. Well, that's certainly a debate we can have for uh, for a longer show, unfortunately. <laughs> we only brought that up at the very end of our program, so yeah, we still have to take one more break. So uh, we'll come back with one final short segment up next here on our 4 o'clock show. It's Brett and Eric on your Thursday afternoon. Food nourishes us. We need food to live. But how are we nourishing the food system? Well, actually, we're throwing a bunch of chemicals and we're making the dirt dead and then we're adding nitrates to the water and we're causing dead zones in the ocean. Oh, and we're also causing climate change. We do that with every bite we eat. But we can create something different. We can switch to a regenerative system. And that's what we talk about every week on Food Freedom Radio. So tune to Food Freedom Radio Saturdays at 8 a.m. or anytime via podcast. Food Freedom Radio on AM 950, the progressive voice of Minnesota. Branding Electrolysis on Grand Avenue in St. Paul has been a leader in permanent hair removal for people of all skin types and backgrounds for over 30 years, celebrating diversity and priding themselves on finding the right treatment plan for each client's individual needs, regardless of race or gender. Services include electrolysis, body waxing, facials, microneedling, and permanent makeup. Book your 60-minute complimentary consultation, including a 15-minute treatment today, for beautiful, lasting results. Visit BrendingElectrolysis.com. And now we're back for the final segment of our 4 o'clock show with Brett and Eric as Melanie bringing in the heavy topic for the end of the show. That That's worth a discussion, I think, for a longer format. I might work on trying to find a guest on that topic because, yeah, it's certainly something uh, population's going to continue growing here in the world, as I believe. What's the world population right now? Is it like 9 or 12 billion? No, something? I think that it's like 7.8. This I thought point. it was already up to 9. No. Not to 9 yet? Twelve might be what they're projecting it to be, I think, by like 2100 now that I'm going back and thinking that through more. I think it's something like that. It looks like you're going to go to Google and uh, confirm that for me. All right, so quick note for programming tomorrow. So on Matt's show, we're actually going to re-air his... New Year's show with Jeff Stein, since unfortunately on New Year's Eve that didn't air in the 3 o'clock show due to a little computer air. So we're going to get Matt's show aired with Jeff Stein coming up tomorrow as they're going to preview 2020. Then on my show, I have a couple of great interviews lined up with Aaron Brown and Minnesota Brown talking northern Minnesota politics and another interview talking about Democrats and charter schools. So stay tuned for those tomorrow. Back on the-